Hi, I'm Klempin Lak. And I'm Ayi Suwart. Welcome to Inquisity, a podcast about questions in architecture, city, and people. Welcome to another episode of Inquisity. Over time, architecture practice has evolved and is still evolving. There are different ways on presenting an architectural design now. Nowadays, architects and architects in training have a myriad of options to represent their designs from the endless numbers of colored markers to computer software like SketchUp, Revit, Archicad, Rhino, Grasshopper, and others. But even with these options from digital technology, some architects still prefer to produce their designs through manual drawings and physical architectural models. These tactile objects provide a different approach on understanding and experiencing an architecture. Today, we will hear about the place of architecture model in the contemporary world of architectural representation. Our guest for today is architect Cesar Ramirez Jr., an architect at Tropics Design Studio, Inc., and at Cultural Heritage Resource Associate, Inc., and the co-founder of Proyecto, an initiative that brings Philippine heritage and history to life and art. He is also an instructor and a member of Urban Sketchers. Welcome, Cesar, to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Hello. Thank you. So, Cesar, I know that you originally started with manual drawings, and you're very good with that. In fact, you are part of the Urban Sketchers but how did you start appreciating and exploring architectural models? Well, to uh, architectural models as, uh, in the practice of architecture, even way back in architecture school, architectural models have been part of our process in designing. And eventually, as technology advanced, we tried to explore other means of doing uh, 3D models in that includes 3D printing. But of course, until now, we are also still using the, the traditional way of doing physical models as part of not only presenting the design, but as a part of the design process and then refining the output for, for any project that uh, we, we work on. So can you tell us, tell us more about the architectural models that you create? Um, before you start um, creating these models, at what point of um, manual sketching do you have to achieve before you actually proceed to creating architectural models? What is the process that you go through when you make them? Well, when we, when we, we come up with models, we start with sketches and then verify them through CAD drawings come up with uh, orthographic drawings and then we we model it 3d model it uh, using a uh, sketchup and then from there we come up with uh, there are two two avenues now we can produce uh, models made of boards or we can also come up with uh, 3d printed uh, models for the projects we we usually use the the traditional way of doing uh, physical models because these are uh, it's more manageable to to adjust your design. Because when it comes to 3D printing, 
when, what you model is what would come out, out of the 3D printing. So when it comes to 3D printing, I usually use that for heritage buildings. Uh, I'm trying to come up with a, a, a library of 3D models of uh, heritage buildings in Manila. For now, uh, this is to this is also part of our of my advocacy to promote uh, the appreciation of our heritage buildings. So. Again, we have the traditional way of doing physical models for design, but 3D printing, I use that most of the time for the heritage buildings. Oh, I see. So sometimes, right, um, especially with heritage buildings, um, these structures exist. Yes. So do the processes that you explained earlier are more or less the same with heritage, or what is the difference? The, mm -hmm. with the, which is a striking difference between a freshly or new, very new building versus like a heritage um, building in terms of 3D modeling? For, for heritage buildings, when it comes to modeling, because you really need to have data. You, have, you should have the data, the dimensions, and all of this are... 99% of the time, not available because these are documents of the owners or in our experience, most of the heritage buildings in Manila or even in, uh, across the country don't have documentation. And that is also something that we are working, uh, trying to standardize because if you look at abroad, they have this inventory and they have this catalog of heritage buildings that are really documented. So when it comes to 3D modeling of heritage buildings, what I really use are open source information. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Google Maps. So with Google Maps or Google Earth, you can basically have, you can measure the dimensions of buildings. And then aside from that, Google Street View, especially now we can go around Google Street View has been very helpful and useful in exploring buildings. No, I say you can you can just enter the the location, and then you have a street view of the building. So from this images, you, I get images from Street View, and also I also look for images, references, photo references online. And then I gather this, and then I come up with uh, massing models of these buildings. Actually, this this method is is one of the exercises that I did for my students uh, in graphics. So from photos, I I had them uh, model these buildings, studying the proportions of these structures, and then we three D printed it. Actually, that is the the first time that I explored three D printing. So with the students, we gathered data, and then came up with 3D models from this open source information. So that is the process. So you mentioned earlier that you were doing different kinds of models, like you had like the manual production of models and also you did 3D modeling for heritage mm -hmm. buildings. But can you share us like an experience with, with your practice where a physical model was significant on the design process? particularly mm -hmm. on the iteration or, or maybe presentation with the client? 
in our experience, no, what we really do when presenting schemes are mostly digital models because digital models allow you to really have a good look on the entire project. Of course, in traditional model making would take some time. It's quite tedious to, to come up with physical models. So in our experience, we come up with schematics using 3D models and then present them. And then from there, the client usually comes up with an idea on which one to pursue. And then from there, that, that's the time that we come up with uh, physical models. And then eventually, there would be some changes or revisions or upgrades that the client would request. And that's the time that we would reflect again on the 3D models that are in digital and then present again. But basically, the physical models are very useful in the schematic stage approval. So are your clients mostly local or do you have international clients as well? All of our projects are local, but we do have foreign clients that are here in, in, in the Philippines. Yeah, so of course, in, in the local context, we utilize um, typically AutoCAD, Revit, SketchUp, of course, and the other Adobe Creative Suite programs. But how about international? Do they have a prescribed computer-aided design software that they'd like you to use? There's this one project, a residential project, but it's located abroad. The thing is, we, we were just the architect who designed, but basically the working drawings would be done abroad. So from our side, what we just produced were perspectives, 3D models, and uh, design development drawings. But the detailing, the building permit application documents, etc., would be done abroad. So I'm not sure what they were, what they would be using on that. Mm-mm. But on our side, we just use the standard softwares that we use here. Okay. Because um, actually, the base of my question is a lot of international practices are streamlined. So, for example, if they use um, Autodesk products or um, Graphisoft products, they're streamlined into one, like, for example, Autodesk products. The BIM, the Building Information Modeling, is the same, usually streamlined to Autodesk products. But, yeah, yes. I guess this one, um, so it's, you, know, you submit your 3D, um, models or rendering to them and then they just convert it on their own to working drawings is that yeah. what you're saying okay i think that's that's how they went through the the project i see it's nice to know that actually we are also consultants in terms of design because usually the profiles right for example um i have an experience in real estate practice so i'm in an in-house design team for uh real estate corporate practice and usually we get international architects to do design to do the sketching to do the conceptual sketches and we do the production in terms Mm -hmm. like we do the working drawings and it's nice to know that there's a there's an aspect where you it's the other way around Uh, you do the design the concept and the work um, and then they do the working drawings and the details yeah okay so you mentioned earlier that you are using like the typical, the standard digital softwares like AutoCAD, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. right? 
but at the same time you are still producing physical outputs like physical model but for you how important is it to continue producing these physical models as compared with a digital model in this mm-hmm. contemporary world well the difference uh, is you have a better feel but of course the word feel has a different kind of meaning when it comes to designing you know? it's how you experience the the object it's quite similar to uh, if you're reading a physical book in a in an ebook you have a deeper experience of of the object and when it comes to physical or 3d whether it's a physical model made of boards or a 3d printed one having a physical model allows you to really uh, analyze more the geometry of the of the of the building and that is also well in design that's one of the main purpose of a physical model is to understand the geometry of or the proportion and massing of your design and when it comes to heritage uh, buildings that is also one of the aspect of it studying how they they built before the, the way they proportion their buildings the way they use scale to have an impact on uh, on uh, the users you would really see that on churches on civic buildings and uh, somehow no, we have a, we, we experience that in physical models even though they are of smaller scale but having a physical model lets you really feel the the shape and form of the object just a follow up question so i'm just taking a few steps back right so um you've been working in um the firm uh, for 10 years but you've been working for tropics for 10 years correct i would just like to know since you've been there for 10 years of course you have new hires and we can't really expect that they'll be very good with 3d modeling or um i guess translating it into a digital platform for example so when you're hiring for example when you're hiring fresh graduates and they don't know much about computer aided design how much time do you give them how much absorption capacity and time do they need before you can actually say like we can absorb you to our team for a very long time in our office we've uh, part of our advocacy in the office is, is really to train apprentices so even before the even before the college UST had this program of apprenticeship we already had this uh, program you know to really train students on experience on actual projects but of course we we we, ha- we try to hire third year and fourth year students we accept them but of course we try to filter them and then we try to to select students who have we see potential when it comes to sketching and uh, designing and then when when they come to the office we try to teach them the process in our, the culture in our office from there usually when we hire we get our we get from the pool of interns that have been trained in our office that's what that's what we do so that when when they try to start in the office it wouldn't take them too long to really adapt into the work environment but of course when it comes to apprenticeship and uh, 
working in the office. These two have different uh, settings. So when it comes to working in the office, working as trainee, we try to give them around six months. And of course, we try to allow them to work on their strengths. But the reality is, some students will really be into schematic design concept. Some students will really excel on uh, doing working drawings, construction drawings. They have this, the wiring of their, their brains is really into constructing details for buildings. So we try to, to uh, put them where they would uh, really uh, excel. But during the entire time that they would be in our office, we still try to give them some work that they would, if, if they can really improve on this aspect, still we would, we would allow them. So basically, that's the our approach when it comes to hiring. It's good to know that you're quite progressive in that respect because I guess in a lot of rather well-reputed firms, they already expect you to have a certain level of expertise. You have to be holistically good. And yeah. especially in the international practice, if, like, if you just look at LinkedIn, for example, a lot of the job description entails or requires um, that you know, for example, in international practice, okay, this is just an example, um, you need to know Rhino, you need to know Grasshopper, mm-hmm. you need to know Revit, you need to know AutoCAD. You know, there's so many things that you have to know but like it's good to know that um, in the firm um, topics that you get to train them, and of course it's it's a two way street where you know you yes. get to gauge that uh, if it's for them or if it's not, or you try to help them work on their strengths and mm-hmm. not just focus on their strengths, but cross post them into maybe some things that they might not be comfortable with. It's good to know that your firm in- exists. So. Let's go going back to of course the the other side of um of course the other advocacy of um the firm. Um Cultural Heritage Resource Associates Inc. This um CHRA is um engaged into different types of modeling apart from it being a heritage advocacy. So you also do some sort of tourism planning. Um, of course, you combine, um, you, you marry the contemporary versus the historical context of um, buildings and form 3D models and outsource it to uh, 3D printers to make a more visual, uh, the visual version so that, you know, people would see it. So anyway, how do architectural models help with your advocacy? Well, for, for 3D modeling, not the, not the physical ones that we use and then come up with perspectives, these are really helpful in uh, helping people see the vision for, for projects like this. Reality here in our country is that we, you know, our built environment is not really that uh, call it aesthetic. If you compare that, of course, with the Western countries and other Southeast Asian countries. So somehow, the technology of 3D modeling, photorealistic renderings, these have been really helpful in heritage conservation. It allows us to present better and communicate better to the, to the stakeholders, to the local people, the community, our vision, and how they can uh, market 
their heritage sites. Some of the projects include the Tagbilar in Tagbilaran, historic city of Tagbilaran, and also in Davao. We had this tourism planning in Davao, and we in Davao. No, what we did was we we surveyed the site. We used drone, drone survey, drone photography, and then from there we came up with uh, a 3D of the scope of the tourism planning, and then from there we came up with perspectives on how to rehabilitate and adapt these buildings or sites to allow tourism to flourish in their area. So that was that's one of the projects that we're in. We we really were able to maximize and uh, use this this technology. Before I say we can when it comes to heritage sites, visualization of this this sites and buildings is one of the best means to really communicate the, the vision for the communities. How do the local stakeholders react whenever they see, say, a model of their city or of, of, of the building in focus? How do they react? Well, generally, they have this uh, positive uh, reactions on uh, when we present these visualizations. And also, one of the most common things that we hear is that they usually say in Tagalog, no, meron pala tayong ganyan. Or, wow, we have, we have that in our community. Because most of the time, the thing is, if you live in the area, your tendency is to really not notice what you have in your area, what's special in your area, because it has been a part of your daily life. And one effective way is really to come up with consultants to Go to that place, explore it, uh, study it, do a cultural mapping, and then come up with a list of the things that they can market for tourism purposes, things, practices, or buildings that are slowly fading. So what we usually do is we partner with the local community, go and interview. One of the fun parts, no, we, we go and we tour, we interview. The thing is, you really had just have to come up with the right questions so that you would have the information that you would be needing. And then once you get all the information, you try to analyze the information and then extract what is really essential for the community and then present it, present it on to them. One thing also is you have to present it in the... In a, in a not so technical way, because we are we as architects, we have we tend to really use terms that are very technical, and uh, that's also one of the the, the things that, that I, I admire with architect Villalon, how he communicates with the people, how he connects. So when it comes to community, that's usually one of the things that we hear. Wow, we have we have something like that, and then. Usually, that's the time that they would be, they would have this pride. No? And I think that is very interesting in a way on how we help in order to make these things like the old structures or churches that we have in our community be appreciated by the locals. Because we believe that the first way on conserving and preserving these buildings would be to be appreciated first. They need yes. to be appreciated first 
by the locals and because they are the ones who will be conserving and protecting and using the structures not us not not the foreigners not the tourists but the locals themselves i think these models these sketches or drawings that we produce as architects these are a very helpful tools in order for us to let them or make them appreciate what they have in order for them to treasure them and to conserve them eventually also of course as much as possible you would want them to relate to the structure so yes. if they see it they can relate to it because as architects we have a discourse explaining the philosophies mm-hmm. about behind it the technical aspects they cannot understand some that and it's it's refreshing to know that you can actually um cross both the manual realm and the 3D realm or the modern digital realm of conveying visual drawings to normal people to normal citizens right so you know it's not these things are not just for architects to see of course the recipient mm-hmm. of this beauty is actually the users which is like the people who live there or Let's go to um, Proyecto. So you're a co-founder of Proyecto. And this is an initiative, um, according to the introduction, that brings Philippine heritage and history to life and art. Could you explain that? Like, um, what is Proyecto? Okay, okay. So Proyecto is, was founded in 2014 in uh, Chocolate Kiss in UP. So if you've been into that wonderful... Uh, Restaurant. The group Proyecto is a partnership with with my high school classmate, who is a historian. So he's a historian, and I am an architect who's into heritage. So we try to combine these two and uh, come up with projects. That's why it's Proyecto. We come up with different projects that are geared towards the promotion of history in general, and uh, heritage conservation. Because my friend, no, John, Mr. John Ray Ramos, has also been part of our heritage projects. Because when it comes to heritage projects, we also have this history part, historical research. So we, we tap him for, for those projects. And uh, in Proyecto, what we do is we, we conduct, pre-pandemic, no, we conduct talks in uh, Gateway Gallery. We have a partnership with Gateway Gallery wherein we invite different uh, people who have this expertise when it comes to uh, history and heritage. We've also done tours in the National Museum with Professor Xiao Chua, if you know him. He's a faculty he's a faculty member in the History Department of La Salle. And the thing is, for I'm quite sure you've been into the National Museum, both National Art Gallery and Anthropology. But the thing is, touring the these museums with a historian who knows the story of the narrative, the narrative of all these paintings and artworks would really give you a very different kind of experience of the museum. So I hope maybe in, in the near future you know, we can we can have you also because in the the National Art Gallery all of these paintings at least up to the part of uh, before Amor Solo all of these 
Well, I think included also the works of Amor Solo and other contemporary modernist painters. Some of most of this, especially the paintings of Juan Luna Hidalgo, are propaganda paintings. They were really sending message on about the colonization of the country, of freedom, and these things. All of these paintings have really beautiful and uh, heavy stories behind. So that is that's what we we offer in these tours. And then eventually, after these tours, we came up with merchandise, which we give uh, and sell during this and uh, these activities. Now, being me being the creative director of Proyecto, I'm I'm the one in charge of doing merchandise. So I create postcards, I create stickers. Eventually, we create, we ventured into heritage miniatures, and the thing is, we also collaborate with different artists. You know, so we have we have artists and suppliers that we work with to to come up with this merchandise. So basically, that's the idea of Proyecto. So wow, it's you're you're quite a multifaceted, um, I guess, heritage advocate and actually practicing heritage in general. So uh, now that you've mentioned all these things, it seems like you've covered both contextual, uh, national character to um, the colonial influences. So and then you convey it into some sort of um, this is sort of your catharsis or no? your outlet where you can yeah. show. And um, show people how important cultural heritage is. So people, aside from architects, um, I guess people who appreciate um, national character yes. would be able to see these things. So that's really good to know and really nice. Um, I think that is quite an interesting tour on how you work all as an architect, as a heritage advocate, as a 3D model maker. But just to wrap up everything, just something light, I would want to ask, what building do you want to have or a structure that you want to have as a model, whether it's existing or, or demolished or from the real, real world or the fantasy world, fictional world? What is it that you want to be modeled? So far, I've modeled around... Uh... 30 buildings, heritage buildings. 30. Wow. And so far, all of this, it's it's quite difficult to really compare them and to choose one. But what I really admire is how we contextualize or make it our own. Because Realistically, we have been influenced by by foreign, uh, the ones who colonized us. And across these projects, what I realize is that the architects effectively owned the style, if you would like to call that, or the movement of their time to Filipino design. And um, personally, one of the buildings that I really, uh, really admire are the buildings of Loxini and uh, Zaragoza. Those two. Those two. So you're uh, you're into uh, brutalism and uh, 
what's this? Is it modernism? 70s, modernism. 70s mm-hmm. to 80s modernism. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pebble wash. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. That's that's quite and um they have this future futuristic forms. Um they also because um a lot of Luxins and Zaragoza's works for that time, if you look at it, actually, it's all about context, contextual. It's a contextual thing, right? So at that point in time, it's so good because during that time, that's actually quite futuristic. Yes. And yeah. And also because most of their works are sculptural in the way they design their buildings. Not too much detail, but uh, the form really is, the form of their buildings are striking and uh, very. Um, adapted to tropical uh, setting tropical setting. I see. Okay. Thank you. Architect Thank you very much, Cesar. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you for, for having me and allowing me, giving me the opportunity to, to talk about heritage. But I'm sure maybe we could invite you again some other time in order for us to, you know, extend or to know more about your practice and about your advocacy, etc. Because mm-hmm. I, I know I'm sure we will learn a lot more from you in the future. Thank so you. thank you very much for for giving us your time and uh, sharing your knowledge, not just for us but also for our listeners. But before we let you go, Cesar, I think we would want to give you the chance to ask a question now. So. What could be your question involving architecture, city, and people? Well, one of the questions that I have is, how do Filipinos really want their cities to be? And it's quite a, quite a difficult question because, for example, in Manila, it's quite, an, it's quite, uh, quite a question that's difficult to answer because Cities have different aspects. Now you have a political, you have the social, you have the uh, economic aspect. And looking at different cities in, in other countries, no, they have they somehow function really well. And that is something that I I am trying to ask in uh, in our setting. No, how do our cities get that kind of uh, working uh, system. You know? mm-hmm. Kasi pa, when it comes to the Philippines, we struggle with the with one with some of the very basic basic aspects of of a city. You know? And my question really is how what is the role of the architect in coming to asking into answering that uh, that question. Of course the city is composed of different uh, People, no? but in 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 our in our role as an architect, what can we do to really contribute in making that a reality? Having a good working uh, city, a built environment that that is uh, very livable. <laughs> you know, that's I think that's a question that I have for which I yeah. think you have, maybe you can give your insights on that. That's also that's also the ultimate mystery to this day. We're still not certain who caused the shots. So, for example, if we were to make a city, who is really the client? 
is it still top down or do they survey do they get outputs from citizens mm-hmm. on what is uh, what constitutes a good city so to me also that's a mystery how does it really work how do they do urban planning and development at the same time how mm-hmm. how is that done or how much do they follow urban planner or uh, architects recommendations and to what extent right so yes. even to me that's a that's quite that's still a mystery and that's a good question by the way that question reminds me so much of the question given by uh, Carrie Sandilian when we guested her in the show where she mentioned what do you want she just dropped the question what do you want what exactly do pe- what do people want for say for the city for the built environment and because in order for us to you know translate as us architects before we could translate uh built environment into something physical we need to understand first what do the users need what do the stakeholders yes. want and how do we get that and how can we uh get the information given that we have 10% of the filipinos living in say metro manila or we have we are coming from different provinces we are divided into thousands of islands and regions and provinces and that we are colonized by a lot of different countries we are multifaceted yes. and it's very challenging to design something unified and individual in order for us to make a city metro manila in particular to be livable and good and beautiful not to mention we need to make it you know habitable with financial and economic returns so there are a lot of questions about it and i like that that question because it it's it pulls a lot of strings not mentioning um, just basically aesthetics but there are all, it also relates to economics culture history identity yeah. even geography would be yes <laughs> contributing to that question and that is quite interesting And I could bet that you know, if you ask a normal citizen, if you ask a policymaker or government officials, or if you ask an architect, we'll have quite contrasting answers. So I think to marry all those ideas is a little bit of an ordeal to this day. Thank you very much, Cesar, for that question. Not just for the question, but also for guesting to our show, for sharing your experience. And I'm sure our listeners learned a lot from your sharing. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you for having me. And um, I will be looking forward for your upcoming episodes. And I'll try to check also your past episodes. And wow, definitely I would be uh, learning and would like would try to recommend this also to my students. Oh, thank you, thank, thank you. you, thank you, Architect Cesar.